Hello and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. My name is JD and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com and today we're answering questions from our anonymous have a question page that we received in June and July and we have a bunch of questions. Uh, One's about a wife falling asleep during sex. We have a bunch of questions about penis size insecurities. Uh, Another one about why blowjobs can make you nauseous and what you can do about it. And also why single people should remain celibate in today's culture. As well, how to deal with a husband who is overly sexual and how do you deal with a spouse who is screaming at you. First, I wanted to mention that we're currently running a short survey about how you like sex to be initiated in your marriage. It's just a few questions and only takes a minute or two. So if you haven't filled it out yet, check it out at uh, uncoveringintimacy.com slash latest hyphen survey. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, it, yeah, it's quick. It's only a few questions. Um, and w- I'm trying to get 2,000 people to fill it out. I, I'm at 1,500. So uh, if you're listening to this, if everyone who listens to the podcast every week uh, filled out the survey, then we'd be done. Um, and then we can do the analysis and I can post it and let you know what everybody says. So yeah, if you haven't already, take a minute to fill that out. Uh, but for now, we're going to go on to the questions. The first question is... Hello, I'm a 50-year-old male married to a 42-year-old female. We have two boys ages 6 and 4. I have the higher sex drive between the two of us. In the past, I've discussed, asked, argued, written her letter regarding our sex life. Unfortunately, things have not changed much. I know she had told her friends in the ma- in the past that she is very sexual. I've never really been on the receiving end, even before we had kids. The last two times that we've been intimate, she has fallen asleep. The first time I went down on her and brought her to orgasm, as I was laying next to her with my mouth by her vagina, she reached out and started to fondle me. Twice she stopped, and the second time I heard her snore. I took her hand off of me and told her goodnight. She got mad that I was annoyed, and we had sex to completion. Four days later, I was going down on her. She fell asleep. I again stopped and put a pair of sleeping shorts on and got back into the bed with my back to her. And she was kissing my neck, trying to fondle me, and eventually got on my back. She mounted me and was kissing me, and she doesn't really like to kiss after I've gone down on her. After about 10 minutes, she rolled us so that she was on her back. We continued for another 15 minutes. You know, she started talking dirty, which she also doesn't do. Eventually, she asked if I was close, and I said no. My brain and penis were angry. She got annoyed that I wasn't going to orgasm and asked me to get off of her. I've not really spoken to her in over 13 hours. I'm upset, humiliated, and I feel rejected. Am I wrong or justified to feel this way? All right, so let's recap this. Now, first off, she's clearly exhausted if she's falling asleep during sex, uh, yet she's still not turning you down for sex. Uh, so right there, I would say that she's making an effort. Uh, number two, yes, she fell asleep, but then she did her very best to recover, even going so far as to push through some of her typical boundaries, which again, shows effort on her part. Number three, you got upset because she's exhausted and frankly, you didn't appreciate the effort that she was putting in. And then she got frustrated because, you know, she was pushing through boundaries, clearly making an effort, allowing herself to be vulnerable, um, doing things she doesn't typically do, do, but it wasn't getting you aroused. So she probably felt upset, humiliated, and rejected as well. So you both feel upset, humiliated, and rejected, and as a result, you ghosted your wife for 13 plus hours, who you vowed to love no matter what. You know, so are you wrong or justified in feeling this way? 
I mean, feelings are feelings. You can feel however you like and justify it. Uh, the question I'm far more interested in is, is it profitable to feel this way? And from my perspective, you're neither justified nor is this pro- profitable. Personally, I'd say you owe her an apology, uh, but maybe I'm just reading it wrong. As one of our supporters said in the forum while discussing this, you know, she's 42 with a four-year-old and a six-year-old, uh, both boys. When my eldest was six and my second was four, uh, I was only 31. I also had a two-year-old at the time and a newborn, but still, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was 31. Uh, it's tiring, but it's not terrible. Uh, but as I get older, it gets harder and harder to keep up. Uh, I couldn't imagine being 42 with a four and a six-year-old, let alone 50. Uh, so it might be worth a conversation about getting more sleep or maybe just starting sex earlier in the night. You know, we don't, me and my wife, we don't start sex after about 10.30 p.m. Anything after that is kind of considered too late. Uh, because we have to get up in the morning and we have five kids and it's exhausting. Uh, we're pushing 40. So if you're going to continue to feel upset, humiliated, and rejected when your exhausted wife seems to be making an effort to maintain a sexual relationship with you, then I don't think you're going to have that problem much longer because frankly, I think she's going to stop trying. Uh, I mean, why would she continue if you're not going to appreciate the effort? So, uh, uh, if you want to feel justified, then go right ahead. But I think you're digging yourself a pit. Uh, if I were you, I would go apologize, uh, say you appreciate her willingness to try, and then see if you can find a solution to make it better moving forward. So next question is, is very short. She just wrote, as a female, is it possible to orgasm without coming? So I got a little confused by this because coming is a synonym for orgasm. So no, uh, but I'm guessing you're asking whether or not it's possible for a female to orgasm without ejaculation. Um, and I actually did a survey about this a while back and you can find the results in the show notes if you want, uh, or a link to them of our respondents. 37% said that they or their wife has experienced female ejaculation. So that means that the majority of women have, not uh, ejaculated while having an orgasm. So yes, it's entirely possible. The majority of women do. All right, next question is, recently my wife has asked to introduce a variety of toys into our sex life. I do see these as enhancements to her pleasure. Last week, she had a fair amount to drink at a small wedding reception. And later that night, she told me that I'm not big enough for her and I never have been. It kind of hurt. And that's when the type of toys she's asked for made more sense. Do you have any advice on how to accept these, even though I feel like and now know that I'm not enough for her? All right. So I have a few thoughts here. Uh, The first is, have you had a conversation about it while she's been sober? Um, Drunken confessions are not always reliable. Secondly, what does not big enough for her mean? You know, not big enough to enjoy, not big enough to orgasm, or does she just mean, you know, not big enough to be optimal? Uh, Those are all radically different things. You know, also, I'd wonder if she has experiences with other penises that cause her to think this way. Is she watching porn that tends to showcase those individuals who are extremely well endowed? You know, the majority of women don't orgasm from penetration, so size usually doesn't make that big of a difference. Uh, Everyone disagrees on exactly what percentages, but only somewhere between a quarter and a third of women tend to orgasm from penetration alone regularly. Uh, 
Uh, one theory is that the distance between the vaginal opening and the clitoris plays a huge part in this, uh, and there are position, positions that can help kind of bridge that gap, such as the cat position, uh, which is uh, cat is short for a coital alignment technique. Uh, ChristianFriendlySexPositions.com calls it grinding the corn if you want to look at it on there, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, as well, the majority of the nerve endings in the vagina are in the first kind of three inches of the vaginal canal, so length doesn't play a large part in pleasure either. Um, that said, girth can, uh, but just because you enjoy something larger doesn't mean that a less girthy penis isn't going to bring pleasure or orgasm. Uh, my point is, I doubt your penis is a problem. I think attitudes are... Uh, potentially on both sides. And definitely what she said is incredibly cruel and hurtful. But as you said, she was drunk. Well, you didn't say that, but uh, it sounded like it. And the testimony of a drunk person is extremely suspect. So again, I'd have a conversation about it when you're both sober, you know, ask her about it. And then if you still want to pursue things to give her a fuller feeling, uh, you can always check out penis sleeves. You know, these go around your penis to give it extra girth. I personally have never tried them, but someone in our supporter group uh, suggested them. I've had others email their positive reviews uh, about those types of products as well in the past. Uh, Mary Dance carries a few of them, which I will link to. Uh, my worry is that this might just add to your feelings of inadequacy, though, which I personally think is likely untrue. Um, but if you want to continue down that path, you can also try fisting, which is a practice of inserting your entire hand into the vagina. Uh, just to be clear, it's poorly named. Don't make a fist and try to shove it in. Uh, my understanding is that you have to make more of a like duck shape with your hands. So if you're going to make like a duck shadow puppet. Uh, some women very really enjoy this activity because of the feeling of fullness. You know, the nerve endings around the vaginal canal respond to pressure uh, more than anything else. So for some, a large amount of pressure is pleasurable. And it takes a lot of lube and patience from what I'm told, but uh, some really do enjoy the feeling. And lastly, uh, something that you can try are butt plugs. Uh, these put pressure on the vaginal canal from the outside, uh, but they give a similar feeling and will push against your penis during vaginal sex, which would make it feel more girthy. Uh, I'll link to those on Mary Dance as well. Uh, but first, I'd start with the sober conversation rather than jumping into things that you can buy that might make you feel worse. All right, next question is from a husband. He asks, how do I handle my emotions, feelings, and hurt after my wife was screaming at me and calling me names? Last night before bedtime, unfortunately, I work at 2.30 a.m. and need to be in bed by 7. My wife unloaded on me, telling me how I don't do anything for her, the family, the house. I work hard, and after an 11-hour day, I need to rest. I do try to help where I can. I also do other things that she's unable to do, like fixing things with the house and the cars. Seems like I'm always fixing something as it is. She resorted to calling me names like baby, spoiled, and many other uh, unkind words, let's just say. She screamed and yelled the entire time and wouldn't let me say a word. I know this isn't grounds for divorce, but I'm very hurt and don't know how to go on. I'm at work now and don't want to go home. She apologized in a text and blamed it all on the world and the situation we are all in now. She never mentioned the world or situation while I was being 
reamed. Just my apparent inadequacies. Thanks. So I have two thoughts here. The first is, why would you just sit there and let her yell at you while you're being hurt? You know, that's not a loving thing to do. Uh, Next time, just say, here, this conversation is not productive. I need to sleep right now and you need to calm down. If you'd like to pick it up tomorrow when you're clear-headed and have control of yourself, I'd be happy to discuss our marriage dynamic and any issues that you have with it. But for now, I'm going to bed. And then you walk away and go to bed. Uh, That's not shutting down. It's not running away from it. It's sending a boundary that this is not a good time for this, nor the proper mental context for such a discussion. Uh, I do the same thing with my kids, frankly. Uh, They will try to start a fight at bedtime. And my rule is I do not have intense conversations after 10 o'clock with my kids because they're tired. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. They're frustrated and tired. And everyone's tired and it's just not going to go well. And half of it we won't remember by morning anyways. So the rule is always we go to bed and in the morning when we're clear-headed, then we can talk about whatever. Frankly, it never comes up again in the morning. Uh, It's usually just because they're tired. Now, I'm not saying that you should treat your wife like a child, but uh, I would say the same thing to my wife if she was doing that. Uh, I would say that this is not appropriate and we're not talking about this like this. Um, So that's probably the first thing I'd do is not let your wife yell at you like that. It's inappropriate. And if you let her do it, then frankly, your reaction is inappropriate. So you're just enabling that behavior. Uh, Secondly, she apologized over text but then what happened? You know, uh, it sounds like you didn't respond or anything like that. Uh, you don't want to go back home. So, uh, I'm guessing you didn't discuss it. Uh, I personally find it completely believable that the current situation is a catalyst for what happened and definitely could have exacerbated it even without her mentioning it or even being aware that it's bothering her in the moment. Uh, Frankly, this whole COVID-19 thing has my wife on edge too. She's more of a social person. She misses hanging out with all of her friends and all the activities that they used to do. And it has her a little on edge and tense and stressed out. So she's a little, I'm going to say touchy, but we've talked about that. And I understand that she's like that. And uh, I get that some things, sometimes it's just too much and it's overwhelming and she just gets upset and something minor just kind of blows up. And, uh, but we talk about it we have conversations about it and uh, we both know and agree that it's not acceptable to, uh, yell at somebody just because you're upset. So I would say have a discussion about it while you're both clear headed. So point is, yes, I think it's quite possible that that could be causing it without her mentioning it in during the reaming out. In fact, I find it odd that if she did mention it during it, because usually when people are that angry, they're not very self-aware and that requires some level of self-awareness. However, there is likely some seed that started all of this. Uh, people don't just lash out and say things that they haven't thought of before. Usually, uh, likely she's unhappy about something in your marriage dynamic that should be addressed. And it may not be that she thinks you're wrong for doing something or that you should be doing more. It could be that she's frustrated with your working schedule and that, you know, your times are all off from her times and that she doesn't get to see more of you or doesn't feel like you have, uh, enough kind of life together. Um, so it could be something like that. Who knows? 
point is, I think that her conversation is how you move forward. She's already apologized, so you know she feels bad for what she did, but you also need to fix whatever kicked it off. And that, that might involve changes in your behavior or changes in her perspective or both. Next question. Uh, this person writes, I was trying to find one of your original blog posts from back when this was sex within marriage. So for those who don't know, uh, the website's now uncoveringintimacy.com. It used to be called sexwithinmarriage.com. Uh, it'll still point you to the right site. Uh, that's why the blog's called, or the podcast is called Sex Within Marriage, because frankly, I didn't want to change the podcast. It was too much work. Uh, so anyways, uh, they continue, maybe my search skills aren't up to sm- snuff. I was looking for the one on sex toys. Uh, It's been a while, so my memory may be a little off, but I seem to remember one of the most prominent reasons for not using more realistic toys is because they're based on someone other than your anatomy. This, it seems, was received as like having sex with someone other than your husband. A few years ago, there was a new product that came out called Clona Willy. Yep, you guessed it. You can now make a toy molded from your husband. You don't need a friend in prosthetics or prosthodontics department anymore to make one. All the things you need are in the kit except the model. This may open some people up to trying toys. I've seen a few posts on toys since then, but nothing that covers this product. It's available from Mary Dance website. Just thought I'd mention it. Uh, yep, they've been around for a while. I think I've mentioned them here or there. Uh, I did find the post you were talking about, so I'll link to that. And uh, yeah, for those who are interested, I'll also link to Mary Dance where you can take a look at it. So I guess that's not really much of a question. It's more of a statement and link to resources. Next question is about blowjobs. She starts just by saying blowjobs, period. Uh, My husband loves them. I don't mind doing them for him, but he has been badgering me to swallow. It happened once by accident and left me six for hours on the verge of vomiting. The taste, temperature, texture, and smell are not even remotely pleasant to me. Anyways, I would like to try it at least once more, but I have no clue what to do at this point. I've tried deep throat spray, but it wears off very fast. Changing his diet has not changed any of the above. Any other things we could try? Um, so, semen is rather alkaline. So when it hits your stomach, it releases your stomach releases more acid in order to counteract that. And it's quite possible that it's the extra acid that's causing the stomach ache and making you feel like you want to vomit. Uh, it's frankly not uncommon. Uh, I see lots of people saying the same thing. Uh, however, some of them also give solutions. And the common solutions are, number one, eat before giving a blowjob because uh, the effect seems to be much worse on an empty stomach. Uh, for some people say if they eat, then they have no issues, but on an empty stomach or if they haven't eaten in a bit, then they have issues. Um Number two, you can try taking something like Zantac, which uh, decreases stomach acid production. Uh, I believe it's a medication that you use for heartburn. I'm not a doctor. Don't quote me on that. Uh, But some say that that helps a lot. Uh, Number three is you can give it time uh, because eventually, apparently, your body will adjust. Uh, I see many people saying that they used to have the same effects, but eventually it just stopped happening. Um, so that's all to do with your stomach not feeling well. Uh, as for changing his diet has not changed any of the above. That is frankly surprising. Uh, the biggest things for diet are usually, um, coffee is bad. Smoking is bad. Alcohol is bad. Meat is bad. Uh, asparagus is bad. Uh, 
uh, I think that's about it. Oh, and drink lots of water. And pineapple juice is usually helpful. It's something to do with the bromine in pineapple juice. You can also get bromine in pills if you don't like the taste of pineapples. Um, but those are generally the things that people try. I've never heard anyone say that they don't work. Uh, so I don't know how much of the diet changes you've tried. Um, but if you're really intent on pursuing this, I would say, yeah, try eating beforehand. Try the Zantac thing. Um and as for the taste, I don't know. You could try all of them. You could put them on a water fast for three days and see if that helps, or a juice only or a fruit only cleanse for three days. Uh, three days should be enough to change a lot of his system. Um, I'm not sure if he's willing to do that for a blowjob, but it's something you could try. All right. Next question is. Do the wives of men who are taking an erectile dysfunction drug know their husband is using it? If they do know, what do they think about that? If the husband is keeping it a secret, why is he? So I don't know of a stat for this. All the supporters in our forum who are using ED meds discuss it with their wife. And in most cases, I would suspect that the wife knows. Um, I think most of the time they're on board with it. The medications all need a bit of a heads up, so timing becomes an issue if you aren't discussing it. Plus, they aren't typically over-the-counter medications, so you'd have to hide a doctor's visit as well as a pharmacy visit and then uh, also taking the drug. I mean, that's a lot to manage and keep a secret. Um, however, I could see a husband wanting to keep it a secret if he's embarrassed about it or if he's afraid that him not being able to maintain an erection will make his wife feel like she's not attractive enough. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I, I still think open communication is better and the way to go, but I could see the rationale behind wanting to keep it a secret for those reasons. All right, and then we get... A long one. The question is not that long, but my answer is I'd considered splitting this off into its own post, and I might do that just to develop it further. But for now, we'll just go with this. And the question is, why should single people older than 25 bother with abstaining from sex? The Bible was written in a cultural context where it was relatively e easy to get married, and the average person could have a reasonable expectation of being married in their early 20s. In the Bible, Paul advises that single people with strong sexual desire should get married. That's reasonable, but only if you assume that marriage is easily entered into. Paul has no advice for a single person who would like to be married, but finds that marriage just isn't an option right now. Indeed, the notion of a single person being in, unable to find a spouse seems to be told, totally foreign to the Bible. The church's demand that single people act like they're asexual until they're 30 or older is based on biblical advice from a very different context. One where remaining unmarried past 30 wasn't a common situation. The dating market is broken, and unless the church can fix it, then it will have to carve out a space where some kind of sexual activity can be allowed for an unmarried people. If single people are sexual beings with sexual drives, then how can sexuality be designed only for marriage? So let me first say that it sounds like you're putting up a false enemy here so that you can tear it down and get your way. The church is not in your way here. You have a conflict with God. The church is only following his commands as best as they can. Your ultimate argue, argument is that God inspired the Bible and didn't think about your specific situation, which you believe is unique, and then you think his commands are unfair to you personally, 
And so you want to rationalize, uh, you want a rationalization for why you can ignore God's commands and do whatever you want, basically. And many people in the church will tell you that the answer is simply because God said so, and that's enough for them. But that's clearly not enough for you, so let's dig deeper. And firstly, I just wanted to say that Paul was not a young man. Uh, He was a Pharisee, which means that he was probably an older man. Uh, He was considered a leader in the church, in the Jewish church, before he became Paul. He was Saul. Uh, He was well-respected, so he probably wasn't that young, and yet he states that he's unmarried. Now, I think it's quite plausible that he was married and then lost his wife due to his conversion, um, because I think it's unlikely who would have gotten the position that he was in while he was signal, single. But the point is, while he wrote the verses that you're mentioning, he would have been single at that time, uh, possibly having had sex previously with his wife, or not if he was always single. The point is, uh, he understood that context. So to say that Paul didn't understand what it's like to be single and not have some way to be married to and not be able to express your sexuality is frankly wrong. But let's keep going. Why does God tell us to abstain from sex outside of marriage? We don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I think we can make some educated guesses. Firstly, we seem to have been designed... Uh, so that sex bonds two people together. When we have sex, our brains release many different chemicals that change our behavior. Uh, dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, norepinephrine, uh, serotonin, and many other chemicals play various roles in making you invest in the person that you're with. They make you feel good about what you're doing and who you're with. They make you feel cared for. They make you feel like you want to protect them. They make you hyper-focus on the other person. Uh, all these drugs that go through our bodies when we have sex, they're designed to glue a couple together. Frankly, what we call a legally binding marriage is really just a representation of what our bodies are already doing, you know, binding us together stronger than any law can. Uh, in the Bible, it wasn't a marriage paper that declared that they were married. It was that they had sex. So, as well, I spend a fair bit of time around the internet reading other people's questions about sex, seeing what the world is up to, where things are going, and so I can understand the culture that is today. And time and time again, I see people try to get into these the friends with benefits situations only to have them turn into a relationship. Often marriage, you know, people are always asking things like, how do I stop falling in love with my hookups? Or if I catch feelings, do I have to break it off with my friends with benefits relationship? Or why do I miss this guy that I've only slept with once? And the world is trying to separate sex from relationships. And it's frankly failing miserably. Why? Because it wasn't intended to be separated. Uh, They're going against their creator and losing. So that's reason number one, I think, because our brain is designed to have sex in marriage. It is chemically coded for that. The second reason is that our psyche also seems to be designed for it. Uh, The other thing I see a lot out there, as well as the questions I get directly, is that previous sexual relationships really mess people up. You know, aside from the risk of like pregnancy and having abortions and all that stuff, even if even if you don't get pregnant, if you don't get STDs or STIs or anything like that, if there's no rape or abuse or anything, which is all very possible and all risky, um, even if all that goes perfectly, these people still 
usually end up with a lot of guilt, shame, confusion, jealousy, insecurity, and generally just a lot of pain. In fact, you'll see that in the next question I answer. You know, we generally don't handle our spouses being previous, having previous partners very well. You know, God is a jealous God and we are made in his image. And I think we were designed to be jealous of our spouses. We want someone who has only ever been with us and will only ever be with us. We want someone to be, you know, focused on us so that we are their universe and we and they are ours. You know, that's what God wants. God wants us to focus on him as the only God. And that doesn't mean that you don't do all these other things that you aren't your own person or anything, but I think we're designed to be bonded with one person. And yes, I know divorce and death don't always make that happen. Um, but why would you want to add to that on purpose? You know, I once had a high school teacher say, uh, you know, sex isn't that good. And I remember thinking in high school, I, I think you're doing it wrong because everything else told me that sex is really good. And being married, uh, I still think sex is really good. And I still wonder if he sometimes <laughs> was doing it wrong. But now I think I might see where he was going. You know, he was talking to a bunch of teenagers and saying that sex is not good enough, that having it prior to marriage is worth the potential pain that you'll experience once you're married as a result. And just in case you're thinking, well, if most friends with benefits end up in a relationship and many married, then why not just do that? And that leads me to reason number three. We don't think straight when we're having sex. And again, I think that's by design. You know, Proverbs 5 verse 19 says, you know, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breath satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Uh, that's the NIV one. And I like the NIV one because I find, uh, I usually don't like NIV because I find it fairly inaccurate. But in this case, I find it to be probably the closest one. You know, the only other time, this is the only time the Bible ever says that it's okay to be intoxicated. And it's not with alcohol, but with love. You know, actually in Hebrew, it's a, it's a bit stronger. And it says that you should err continuously. In other words, that you should be so enraptured by your wife's breasts that you'll make stupid mistakes. And in marriage, that's okay because it's just two of you in a bed naked, you can say stupid things. You can do stupid things. You know, you're together for life. It is a time to be vulnerable and to do stupid things. But prior to marriage, you need a fairly level head on your shoulders so that you can wisely determine if the person you are dating is a good match, that they will have the same goals in life, the same passion for God, you know, to decide whether you both want kids or not, you know, where you want to live, what life will look like. But if you're having sex, there's a good chance that you're going to act stupidly. You'll be so infatuated, you will miss or rationalize away all the red flags. And sex is good, and it's awesome, and it's amazing, and it's a blessing, but it's also dangerous in the wrong context. Uh, it is powerful, and powerful things need a container. And whether it's easy or hard to get married is besides the point. It doesn't change the risks involved. But if you feel the dating world is broken, then go do something about it. You know, host a singles night at church, invite other churches in the area, get single Christians together so they can meet, start a Bible study for singles or a games night for singles, do something. But don't just sit there saying, well, the church broke the dating single dating market, so they have to let me have sex until they fix it. The church 
doesn't have the authority to give you that leeway. And even if it did, it wouldn't help you because while breaking God's rules does have an impact in you that can start a pattern of behavior of hardening your heart against God, the simple fact is that even if it wasn't a rule, the practical natural consequences would still be there. No one, not me, not the church, I would argue not even Jesus could say, go ahead and have sex with whoever you want, and you wouldn't experience the effects. We are simply not designed to live that life without consequences, because all the things that make sex amazing in marriage and wonderful and bonding are the same things that make it terribly disastrous outside of marriage. In order for it to be okay to have sex outside of marriage, you would have to destroy the good that it does inside of marriage as well. And frankly, I don't think Jesus or God is up for that. So those are my views. And the next question is, it's long. So I'm going to read kind of the first paragraph, and then I'm just going to skip a bunch and jump to the end. And if you want all the details, you can go on the blog. I'll post the whole thing. Uh, and you can read through it all. But uh, frankly, I just don't want to read through it all. Uh, it's long. And I think you can get enough out of the few paragraphs. So he writes, I knew when we were married that my wife was not a virgin. That never bothered me. Years later, she became disinterested, less intimate, and was rejected, and I was rejected from sexual advances repeatedly. I even remember her saying once that she didn't know why I sat with my legs apart because you don't have that much down there. At one time, I was play, I playingly said something about how big my penis was, and she rolled her side, eyes and said, it's not that big. Um, so that's the per- first paragraph. And then he goes on to uh, show a couple more examples of times where uh, she's made it clear that she's been with Uh, previous lovers that were perhaps more well-endowed than he was. Uh, Near the end, he continues to say, I truly feel like I have zero sexual significance to her. Even intimately, she also acts like my sister most of the time. She made comments to friends or wrote comments in mementos about moments that were special with them, how hot they were or a sexual innuendo, never towards me. I believe our intimacy is never going to recover because she feels guilt or like she's missing something from her past that I cannot provide. I'm convinced that she simply got what she wanted sexually in her youth so much that she outgrew it or simply became bored by the time we were married. She used to have that sexual desire, but now that she is married, sex is not on her radar. I've tried so many ways to fix this hole in her relationship. I have attempted compromise, confrontation, requested counseling, and offered divorce. None made progress. It's like she wants me trapped does not want me to feel satisfied, but also refuses to let me go. Okay. Now, honestly, this is kind of out of my depth. These are issues more for a therapist, uh, not a coach like me. Uh, My guess is that you have an obsession with her past and you can't let that go. And that probably makes you less confident, which isn't sexy for most women as well. You know, the carefree sex without kids, uh, prior to marriage is radically different than married sex for a lot of people. The taboo, taboo nature of premarital sex combined with the lack of responsibility and being young and your brain still firing up all these things and all these chemicals going through, you know, can make memories that seem better than they were. You know, if you look back on the, we, we tend to gloss over any of the bad stuff. Uh, 
And if you don't have a solid belief about sex, what sex is in marriage, that it's good and blessed and something created by God for married people, then sex in marriage can seem like a duty or an obligation or even a chore, which is also terribly unsexy. Personally, I doubt that your penis size is the real issue. I think there's more going on here than that, but I think you probably also need to see a counselor or a therapist together to sort it out. So you say things like, I attempted compromise, confrontation, requested counseling, and offered divorce. But you never say you went to counseling. So what's stopping you? I would say, find a date, say that you're going, invite her to come with, and if she doesn't, then go yourself. Um, Get some help for yourself. I'd start there. And then invite her to come. All right. Next question is a short one. He just writes, I'm a straight male. Why do I look at men's feet and crotches? Uh, I'm not sure. It could be that you experience same-sex attraction. Uh, It could be that you're insecure about your penis size. And that insecurity has you wondering about or afraid of their size. Uh, personally, I, I'd bet the latter. Uh, we did a survey uh, survey about the about penis size a while back, and 49% of men said that they wished their penis was longer. 47% said they wish it was thicker. So worrying about your size is normal. Uh, we also learned that women are far less concerned about penis size than their men. So uh, pretty much the only ones worrying the only one worrying about it is probably you. Um, so yeah, our fears are generally unfounded. That's pretty much all I've got for that one. All right. Second last question is my husband is constantly sexually touching me, making sexual innuendos or trying to get me to constantly get undressed in front of him. Basically, he's always trying to look at my naked body. He does this all the time, even in front of our three children or other people. I have mentioned I don't like it, especially in front of other people, but he claims he just flirted with me and then gets defensive, claiming I don't want him flirting with me. I can't even give him a passionate kiss without him turning it into something sexual instead of just taking it at face value, just a passionate kiss. He tells me his love language is physical touch, but... I avoid touching him because everything is about sex. His sexual desire is so overwhelming and it it is degrading to me and makes me feel like I'm only here for his physical release because he does not listen when I tell him those things make me uncomfortable and I've just given up on trying to have these conversations. How do I respectfully tell him what he's doing hurts me and ultimately ends up hurting our relationship? I do realize it takes two people to have good slash bad issues, but me stuffing it down and not talking about it only makes the problem worse. So yeah, I think you pretty much answered your own question here. Uh, You need to sit him down and say, when you do these things, it makes me feel objectified. It damages my view of you and ultimately makes it so that the next time you try to flirt with me, my defenses go up. You know, uh, I see this potentially getting to a point where I'm not only uninterested, but repulsed by any sexual expression at all. Uh, you know, that I don't think either of us want this to happen. So how can we change things so that we don't get to this point and ideally improve where we are now so that I can enjoy your advances again. Now that said, um, you might also have some work to do on your side. Uh, I think that having a healthy boundary of no sexual attention when others are around is perfectly reasonable, but 
then you also have to be willing to work at not having walls up when there aren't others around, uh, when there's no good reason not to engage or respond. All right, last question is about prostate stimulation. Uh, this person just asked, is it okay for a husband to want to try this? My wife is nothing into anal, but I would really like to try prostate mas massage. Is this wrong? Um, the activity isn't wrong, but if your wife wants nothing to do with it, then that doesn't really help you. Uh, I think trying it without her would be wrong, and I think forcing her to do something that she's not comfortable with would be wrong. So while the activity itself isn't wrong, I don't see how you could engage in it without the situation being wrong, given the current dynamic. Yeah. Now, what you could try to do is have a discussion about with her about it and ask her why she thinks it's wrong or what she doesn't like about it. Um, but ask with an intent to actually understand her, not with an intent to convince her. Um, then if you can have a discussion about why, what you both think about it, then maybe there's room to change and maybe there isn't. It's hard to say. And that's it for today. So those are the questions we got in June and July. If you have a question, you can check out our anonymous have a question page. Uh, if you want to see the questions as they come in and join in the discussion on our forum, you can check out our supporters page. There's a link to that in the show notes as well on your podcast player, or you can go to the blog and check it out. And uh, don't forget about our survey. And I think that's about it for now. Yep. All right. Uh, talk to you next time. I have a few things coming up. I have some reviews. I just got sent a book called Knowing Her Intimately, 12 Keys for Creating a Sextraordinary Marriage. Uh, I'm really interested to read this because I read her other book. It's by Laura M. Brotherson. And uh, she wrote another book called From Honeymoon to Happily Ever After, which I also quite enjoyed. So, I will let you know about that. I think I might also have some toys on the way from a company that I'm going to try out. And uh, I have some reviews of ones that I already have. Um, so all that's coming up, uh, plus survey analysis. If we get enough people, don't forget to do the survey. And yeah, we'll talk to you next time.